Welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Hear your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I am your host, Fred, and that great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. And this is our March 15th, 2013 production, which means it is time for the Ides of March. Um, actually, we are not featuring uh, the Romans or the tragedy of Julius Caesar, though we do have a fantastic version of that by the Quicksilver Radio Theater in our archives. Search Julius Caesar on the radiodramarevival.com website. Um, actually, today we are going back to ancient Greece, a little bit further back even than the Romans to the time of Sophocles with his classic tragedy, Oedipus the King. Now, I have to have huge admiration for any group that takes on, um, you know, a, a Greek tragedy. It is an enormous undertaking. And, you know, of course, with any classic work, you have, uh, you know, the whole history of the piece to contend with. Um, but uh, Chatterbox Audio Theater is brave. Um, they've done it. They've taken this new translation by Ian Johnston and done a marvelous job with it uh, with their uh, Memphis-based community audio theater troupe. And I think you will enjoy what we've got in store for you. Um, last week, we had Act One, uh, where we were sort of introduced to the world of Oedipus where the king of Thebes lay dead. Um, now we are back um, learning more about this death, have uh, more accusations thrown around to Oedipus and uh, the devastating nature of this crime starting to be explored in a way that the the young king not so excited to learn about. Um, and that is where we are. Um, this is uh, has this very uh, wonderfully understated sound design. Uh, when they do use sound to effect, I think you will notice it quite obviously, and I think they do a really good job of uh, uh, limiting that so that when they do go crazy with the sound design, it is, works very, very powerfully. Um, this is Act 2 of Sophocles' Oedipus the King. Just a moment. Um, before we get into that, I've got to give one more shout-out to Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman, produced by Dirk Maggs. Um, that's coming out tomorrow, uh, March 16th. Um, it's going to be 2.30 p.m. GMT, which is pretty early in the morning for us Americans, but uh, do make sure to snag it. I think at least the first episode will be available um, for download as a podcast. Um, other ones certainly will be on the iPlayer. And um, as you know, with the BBC, you just got to get it and grab it. Um, but I think you will, it's well, 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 well worth the effort. Um, I am, uh, of course, a bit biased because Neil Gaiman is one of my favorite authors. I love his dark fantasy and uh, urban fantasy and Neverwhere is just a fantastic show. And to have it done by my, you know, favorite director, one of my favorite directors in audio drama, Dirk Maggs, with such a fantastic cast just means this is a dream production, which I can assure you is, is every bit as good as you'd be led to believe. It really is fantastic. I think it sets a new standard for audio drama productions. And uh, for folks like me who are trying to aspire to something, <laughs> to hear the best of the best, uh, this, this sets the stage for what we're going to try and do and uh, see how close we can get. Uh, this next little bit, I'm going to uh, give you a little sample here. This is from BBC's website. Uh, this is Benedict Cumberbatch, who you must know plays Sherlock in the new TV series Sherlock, uh, which is you know fantastic series. He plays the Angel Islington. In, in this little scene, the Angel Islington sings. Um, enjoy it. If ever thou gavest chosen or shown, then every night and all, sit thou down and put them on, and Christ receive thy soul. This I night, this I night, every night and all. Fire and 
Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman, starring James McAvoy on Radio 4 and Radio 4 Extra. All right, that is a little bit of Neverwhere. Check it out. March 16th, BBC Radio 4. We'll have links to where to get it on the Radio Drama Revival blog. And now, um, in its uh, full entirety, 36 minutes, the second act of Oedipus the King, produced by Chatterbox Audio Theatre. Chatterbox Audio Theatre presents Oedipus the King by Sophocles. Translated by Ian Johnston. Act 2. You citizens! I have just discovered that Oedipus, our king, has leveled charges against me. Disturbing allegations. Well, that I cannot bear. So I've come here. In these present troubles, if he believes that he has suffered any injury from me in word or deed, then I have no desire to continue living into ripe old age still bearing his reproach. For me, the injury produced by this report is no single isolated matter. No, it has the greatest scope of all. If I end up being called a wicked man... Here in the city, a bad citizen by you and by my friends. Perhaps he charged you, spurred on by the rash power of his rage, rather than his mind's true judgment. Was it publicized that my opinions convinced Tiresias to utter lies? That's what was said. I have no idea just what it meant. Did he accuse me and announce the charges with a steady gaze, in a normal state of mind? I do not know. What those in power do, I do not see. But he's approaching from the palace. Here he comes in person. You! How did you get here? Has your face grown so bold you now come to my own home? You, who are so obviously the murderer of the man whose house it was? A thief who clearly wants to steal my throne. Come, in the name of all the gods, tell me this. Did you plan to do it because you thought I was a coward? Or a fool? I... Or did you think I would not learn about your actions as they crept up on me with such deceit? Or that if I knew I could not deflect them? This attempt of yours, is it not madness? To chase after the king's place? Without friends, without a horde of men? To seek a goal which only gold or factions could attain? Will you listen to me? It's your turn now to hear me make a suitable response. Once you know, then judge me for yourself. You are a clever talker, but from you I will learn nothing. I know you now, a troublemaker. An enemy of mine. At least first listen to what I have to say. There's one thing you do not have to tell me. You have betrayed me. If you think being stubborn and forgetting common sense is wise, then you're not thinking as you should. And if you think you can act to injure a man who is a relative of yours and escape without a penalty, then you're not thinking as you should. I agree. What you've just said makes sense. So tell me. 
the nature of the damage you claim you're suffering because of me. Did you or did you not persuade me to send for Tiresias, that prophet? Yes, and I'd still give you the same advice. How long is it since Laius... Did what? What's Laius got to do with anything? Since Laius was carried off and disappeared. Since he was killed so brutally. That was long ago. Many years have passed since then. At that time... Was Tiresias as skilled in prophecy? Then, as now, he was honored for his wisdom. And back then, did he ever mention me? No, never. Not while I was with him. Did you not investigate the killing? Yes, of course we did. But we found nothing. Why did this man, this wise man, not speak up? I do not know. And when I don't know something, I like to keep my mouth shut. You know enough. At least you understand enough to say... What? If I really do know something, I will not deny it. If Tiresias were not working with you, he would not name me as the one who murdered Laius. If he says this, well, well, you're the one who knows. But I think the time has come for me to question you the way that you've been questioning me. Ask all you want. You'll not prove that I'm the murderer. Then tell me this. Are you not married to my sister? Since you ask me, yes, I don't deny that. And you two rule this land as equals. Whatever she desires, she gets from me. And am I not third, equal to you both? That's what makes your friendship so deceitful. No, not if you think this through as I do. First, consider this. In your view, would anyone prefer to rule and have to cope with fear rather than live in peace? Carefree and safe, if his powers were the same? I, for one, have no natural desire to be king in preference to performing royal acts. The same is true of any other man whose understanding grasps things properly. For now I get everything I want from you, but without the fear. If I were king myself, I'd be doing many things against my will. So how can being a king be sweeter to me than royal power without anxiety? I'm not yet so mistaken in my mind that I want things which bring no benefits. Now I greet all men, and they all welcome me. Those who wish to get something from you now flatter me, since I'm the one who brings success in what they want. So why would I give up such benefits for something else? A mind that's wise will not turn treacherous. It's not my nature to love such policies. And if another man pursued such things, I'd not work with him. I couldn't bear to. If you want proof of this, then go to Delphi. Ask the prophet if I brought back to you exactly what was said. At that point, if if you discover I've planned something, that I've conspired with Tiresias, then arrest me and have me put to death. Not just on your own authority, but on mine as well. A double judgment. Do not condemn me on an unproved charge. It's not fair to judge these things by guesswork, to assume bad men are good or good men bad. In my view, to throw away a noble friend is like a man who parts with his own life, the thing most dear to him. Give it some time, and you'll see clearly, since only time can fully validate a man who's true. A bad man is exposed in just one day. For a man concerned about being killed, my lord, he has spoken eloquently. 
Those who are unreliable give rash advice. If some conspirator moves against me in secret and with speed, I must be quick to make my counterplans. If I just rest and wait for him to act, then he'll succeed in what he wants to do, and I'll be finished. What do you want? To exile me from here? No. I want you to die, not just run off, so I can demonstrate what envy means. You are determined not to change your mind or listen to me. You'll not convince me, for there's no way that I can trust you. I can see that you've become unbalanced. I'm sane enough to defend my interests. You should be protecting mine as well. But you're a treacherous man. It's your nature. What if you're wrong? I still have to govern. Not if you do it badly. Oh, Thebes, my city. I have some rights in Thebes as well. It is not yours alone. My lords, an end to this. I see Jocasta coming from the palace and just in time. With her assistance, you should bring this quarrel to a close. Foolish men, why are you arguing in such a silly way? With our land so sick, are you not ashamed to start a private fight? You, Oedipus, go in the house. And you, Creon, return to yours. Why blow up a trivial matter into something huge? Sister, your husband, Oedipus, intends to punish me in one of two dreadful ways. To banish me from my father's country... Or arrest me and have me killed. That's right, lady. I caught him committing treason, conspiring against my royal authority. Let me not prosper, but die a man accursed if I have done what you accuse me of. Oedipus, for the sake of the gods, trust him in this. Respect that oath he made before all heaven. Do it for my sake and for those around you. I beg you, my lord, consent to this. Agree with her. What is it then you're asking me to do? Pay Creon due respect. He has not been foolish in the past, and now that oath he's sworn has power. Are you aware just what you're asking? Yes, we understand. Then tell me exactly what you're saying. You should not accuse a friend of yours and thus dishonor him with a mere story which may not be true when he's sworn an oath and therefore could be subject to a curse. By this point, you should clearly understand when you request this what you are doing, seeking to exile me from Thebes or kill me. No. No, by sacred Helios, the god who stands preeminent before the rest, may I die the most miserable of deaths, abandoned by the gods and by my friends, if I have ever harbored such a thought. But the destruction of our land wears down the troubled heart within me, and so does this, if you too add new problems to the ones which have for so long been afflicting us. Let him go, then. Even though it's clear I must be killed or sent from here in exile, forced out in disgrace, I have been moved to act compassionately by what you said. Not by Creon's words. But if he stays here, he will be hateful to me. You are obstinate, obviously unhappy to concede. And when you lose your temper, you go too far. But men like that find it most difficult to tolerate themselves. In that, there's justice. Why not go? Just leave me alone! I'll leave, since I see you do not understand me. But those here know I'm a reasonable man. Lady, will you escort our king inside? Yes, once I have learned what happened here. They talked. Their words gave rise to uninformed suspicions and all-consuming lack of proper justice. From both of them? Yes. 
What caused it? With our country already in distress, it is enough. It seems to me enough to leave things as they are. Now, do you see the point you've reached? Thanks to your noble wish to dissolve and dull my firmer purpose? My lord, I have declared it more than once. So you must know it would have been quite mad if I abandoned you. Who, when this land, my cherished Thebes, was in great trouble, set it right again? And who, in these harsh times which now consume us, should prove a trusty guide? By all the gods, my king, let me know why in this present crisis you now feel such unremitting rage. To you I'll speak, lady, since I respect you more than all these here. It's Creon's fault. He conspired against me. In this quarrel, what was said? Tell me. Creon claims that I'm the murderer. That I killed Laius? Does he know this firsthand? Or has he picked it up from someone else? No, he set up that treasonous prophet. What he says himself sounds innocent. All right. Forget about those things you've said. Listen to me and ease your mind with this. No human being has skill in prophecy. I'll show you why with this example. King Laius once received a prophecy. I won't say it came straight from Apollo, but it was from those who do assist the god. It said Laius was fated to be killed by a child conceived by him and me. Now, at least according to the story, one day Laius was killed by foreigners, by robbers at a place where three roads meet. Besides, before our child was three days old... Laius fused his ankles tight together and ordered others to throw him out on a mountain rock where no one ever goes. And so Apollo's plan that he'd become the one who killed his father didn't work, and Laius never suffered what he feared, that his own son would be his murderer, although that's what the oracle had claimed. So don't concern yourself with prophecies. Whatever gods intend to bring about, they themselves make known quite easily. Lady, as I listen to these words of yours... My soul is shaken, my mind confused. Why do you say that? What's worrying you? I thought I heard you say that Laius was murdered at a place where three roads meet. That's what was said, and people still believe. Where is this place? Where did it happen? In a land called Phocis. Two roads lead there, one from Delphi and one from Daulia. How long is it since these events took place? The story was reported in the city just before you took over royal power here in Thebes. Oh, Zeus... What have you done? What have you planned for me? What is it, Oedipus? Why is your spirit so troubled? Not yet. No questions yet. Tell me this. Laius, how tall was he? How old a man? He was big. His hair was turning white. In shape, he was not all that unlike you. Worse for me. I may have just set myself under a dreadful curse without my knowledge. What do you mean? As I look at you, my king, I start to tremble. I am afraid, full of terrible fears, the prophet sees. But you can reveal this better if you now will tell me one thing more. I'm shaking, but if you ask me, I will answer you. Did Laius have a small escort with him? Or a troop of soldiers like a royal king? Five Thebans, including a herald, went with him. A carriage carried Laius. Alas, alas, it's all too clear. Lady, who told you this? A servant, the only one who got away. She came back here. Is there any chance she's in our household now? No. 
Once she returned and understood that you had now assumed the power of slaughtered Lias, she clasped my hands, begged me to send her off to where our animals graze out in the field so she could be as far away as possible from the side of the town. And so I sent her. She was a slave, but she'd earned my gratitude. She deserved an even greater favor. I'd like her to return back here to us. And quickly, too. That can be arranged. But why is that something you would want to do? Lady, I'm afraid I may have said too much. That's why I want to see her here in front of me. Then she will be here. But now, my lord, I deserve to learn why you are so distressed. My forebodings now have grown so great. I will not keep them from you. For who is there I should confide in rather than in you about such a twisted turn of fortune? My father was Polybus of Corinth. My mother, Merope, Hadorian. There I was regarded as the finest man in all the city until, as chance would have it, something really astonishing took place, though it was not worth what it caused me to do. <laughs> At a dinner there, a man who was quite drunk from too much wine began to shout at me, claiming I was not my father's real son. That troubled me, but for a day at least I said nothing, though it was difficult. The next day I went to ask my parents, my father and my mother. They were angry at the man who had insulted them this way, so I was reassured. But nonetheless, the accusation always troubled me. The story had become well known all over. And so I went in secret off to Delphi. I didn't tell my mother or my father. Apollo sent me back without an answer, so I didn't learn what I had come to find. But when he spoke, he uttered monstrous things, strange terrors and horrific miseries. It was my fate to defile my mother's bed, to bring forth to men a human family that people could not bear to look upon, to murder the father who engendered me. When I heard that, I ran away from Corinth. From then on, I thought of it just as a place beneath the stars. I went to other lands so I would never see that prophecy fulfilled. The abomination of my evil fate. In my traveling, I came across that place in which you say your king was murdered. And now, lady... I will tell you the truth. As I was on the move, I passed close by a spot where three roads meet. And in that place, I met a herald and a horse-drawn carriage. Inside, there was a man like you described. The guide there tried to force me off the road. Off the road! Get off the road! And the old man, too, got personally involved. In my rage, I lashed out at the driver who was shoving me aside. The old man, seeing me walking past him in the carriage, kept his eye on me and with his double whip struck me on my head. Ah! Ah! Right here on top. Well, I retaliated in good measure. I hit him a quick blow with the staff I held. Ah! and knocked him from his carriage to the road. He lay there on his back. 
then I killed them all. Now, if that stranger was somehow linked to Lias, who is now more unfortunate than me? What man could be more hateful to the gods? No stranger and no citizen can welcome him into their lives or speak to him. Instead, they must keep him from their doors. A curse I laid upon myself. With these hands of mine, these killers' hands, I now contaminate the dead man's bed. Am I not depraved? Am I not utterly abhorrent? Now I must fly into exile, and there, a fugitive, never see my people, never set foot in my native land again, or else I must get married to my mother and kill my father, Polybus, who raised me, the man who gave me life. If anyone claimed this came from some malevolent god, would he not be right? Oh, you gods, you pure blessed gods, may I not see that day. Let me rather vanish from the sight of men before I see a fate like that roll over me. My lord, to us these things are ominous. But you must sustain your hope until you hear the servant who was present at the time. I do have some hope left, at least enough to wait for the woman we've summoned from the fields. Once she comes, what do you hope to hear? I'll tell you, if we discover what she says matches what you say, then I'll escape disaster. What was so remarkable in what I said? You said that in her story, the woman claimed Lias was murdered by a band of thieves. If she still says that there were several men, then I was not the killer since one man could never be mistaken for a crowd? But if she says it was a single man, then I'm the one responsible for this. Well, that's certainly what she reported then. She cannot now withdraw what she once said. The whole city heard her, not just me alone. But even if she changes that old news, she cannot ever demonstrate, my lord, that Laius' murder fits the prophecy, for Apollo clearly said that the man would die at the hands of an infant born from me. Now, how did that unhappy son of ours kill Laius when he'd perished long before? So, as far as these oracular sayings go, I would not look for confirmation anywhere. You're right in what you say, but nonetheless, send for that peasant. Don't fail to do that. I'll call her here as quickly as I can. Let's go inside. I'll not do anything which does not meet with your approval. I pray fate still finds me worthy. Demonstrating piety and reverence in all I say and do, in everything our loftiest traditions consecrate. Those laws engendered in the heavenly skies, whose only father is Olympus. They were not born from mortal men, nor will they sleep and be forgotten. In them lives an ageless, mighty God. Insolence gives birth to tyranny, that insolence which vainly crams itself and overflows with so much stuff beyond what's right or beneficial that once it's climbed the highest rooftop, it's hurled down by force. Such a quick fall, there's no safe landing on one's feet. But I pray the God never will abolish the rivalry so beneficial to our state. That God I will hold on to always, the one who stands as our protector. 
But if a man conducts himself disdainfully in what he says and does, and manifests no fear of righteousness, no reverence for the statues of the gods, may miserable fate seize such a man for his disastrous arrogance. If he does not behave with justice when he strives to benefit himself, appropriates all things impiously, and like a fool, profanes the sacred. What man is there who does such things, who can still claim he will ward off the arrow of the gods aimed at his heart? If such actions are considered worthy, why should we dance to honor God? No longer will I go in reverence to the sacred stone, earth's very center, or to the temple at Abai or Olympia, if these prophecies fail to be fulfilled and manifest themselves to mortal men. But you, all-conquering, all-ruling Zeus, if by right those names belong to you, let this not evade you and your ageless might. For ancient oracles which dealt with Laius are withering. Men now set them aside. Nowhere is Apollo honored publicly, and our religious faith is dying away. You citizens of Thebes, I think it is appropriate for me to visit our god's sacred shrine, bearing in my hands this garland and an offering of incense. For Oedipus has let excessive pain seize on his heart and does not understand what's happening now by thinking of the past like a man with sense. Instead, he listens to whoever speaks to him of dreadful things. I can do nothing more for him with my advice. And so, Lycian Apollo, I come to you, who stand here beside us, a suppliant, with offerings and prayers for you to find some way of cleansing what corrupts us. For now we are afraid, just like those who on a ship see their helmsmen terrified. The strangers, can you tell me where I find the house of Oedipus, your king? Better yet, if you know, can you tell me where he is? His home is here, stranger, and he's inside. This lady is the mother of his children. May her happy home always be blessed, for she is his queen, true mistress of his house. I wish the same for you, stranger. Your fine words make you deserve as much. But tell us now why you have come. Do you seek information, or do you wish to give us some report? Lady, I have good news for your whole house, and for your husband, too. What news is that? Where have you come from? I've come from Corinth. I'll give you my report at once, and then you will no doubt be glad... Although perhaps you will be sad as well. What is your news? How can it have two such effects at once? The people who live there in the lands beside the Isthmus will make him their king. They have announced it. What are you saying? Is old man Polybus no longer king? No, he's dead and in his grave. What? Has Oedipus' father died? Yes. If what I'm telling you is not the truth, then I deserve to die. You there. Go at once and tell this to your master. Yes, my lady. Oh, you oracles of the gods, so much for you. Oedipus has for so long been afraid that he would murder him. He ran away. Now Polybus has died, killed by fate and not by Oedipus. Ah, Jocasta, my dearest wife, why have you summoned me to leave our home and come out here? You must hear this man, and as you listen, decide for yourself what these prophecies, these solemn proclamations from the gods amount to. Who is this man? What report does he have for me? He comes from Corinth, bringing news that Polybus, your father, no longer is alive. He's dead. What? Stranger, let me hear from you in person. If I must first report my news quite plainly, 
then I should let you know that Polybus has passed away. He's gone. By treachery, or was it the result of some disease? With old bodies, a slight weight on the scales brings final peace. Apparently his death was from an illness? Yes, and from old age. Alas, indeed, lady. Why should any man pay due reverence to Apollo's shrine where his prophet lives, or to those birds which scream out overhead? For they foretold that I was going to murder my own father, but now he's dead and lies beneath the earth, and I am here. I never touched my spear! Perhaps he died from a desire to see me, so in that sense I brought about his death. But as for those prophetic oracles, they're worthless. Polybus has taken them to Hades, where he lies. Was I not the one who predicted this some time ago? You did. But then I was misguided by my fears. You must not keep on filling up your heart with all these things. But my mother's bed, I am afraid of that. And surely I should be. Why should a man whose life seems ruled by chance live in fear? A man who never looks ahead, who has no certain vision of his future? It's best to live haphazardly as best one can. Do not worry you will wed your mother. It's true that in their dreams a lot of men have slept with their own mothers, but someone who ignores all this bears life more easily. Everything you say would be commendable if my mother were not still alive. But since she is, I must remain afraid, although what you are saying is right. But still, your father's death is a great comfort to us. Yes, it is good, I know. But I do fear that lady. She is still alive. This one you fear. What kind of woman is she? Old man, her name is Merope, wife to Polybus. And what in her makes you so fearful? Stranger, a dreadful prophecy sent from the gods. Is it well known? Or something private which another person has no right to know. No, no, it's public knowledge. Apollo once said it was my fate that I would marry my own mother and shed my father's blood with my own hands. That's why many years ago I left my home in Corinth. Things turned out well, but nonetheless, it gives the sweetest joy to look into the eyes of one's own parents. And because you were afraid of her, you stayed away from Corinth. And because I did not want to be my father's killer. My lord, since I came to make you happy, why don't I relieve you of this fear? You would receive from me a worthy thanks. That's really why I came. So your return might prove a benefit to me back home. But I will never go back to my parents. My son, it is so clear you have no idea what you are doing. What do you mean, old man? In the name of all the gods, tell me. If that's the reason, you're a fugitive and won't go home. I feared Apollo's prophecy might reveal itself in me. You were afraid you might become corrupted through your parents? That's right, old man. That was my constant fear. Are you aware these fears of yours are groundless? And why is that? If I was born their child... Because you and Polybus were not related. What do you mean? Was not Polybus my father? He was as much your father as this man here. No more, no less. But how can any man who means nothing to me be the same as my own father? But Polybus was not your father. No more than I am. Then why did he call me his son? If you must know, he received you many years ago as a gift. I gave you to him. He really loved me. How could he if I came from someone else? Well, before you came, he had no children. That made him love you. When you gave me to him, had you 
bought me or found me by accident? I found you in Sathiron's forest valleys. What were you doing wandering up there? I was looking after flocks of sheep. You were a shepherd? Just a hired servant roaming here and there? Yes, my son, I was. But at that time, I was the one who saved you. When you picked me up and took me off, what sort of suffering was I going through? The ankles on your feet could tell you that. My old misfortune. Why mention that? Your ankles had been pierced and tied together. I set them free. My dreadful mark of shame. I've had that scar there since I was a child. That's why fortune gave you your very name, the one which you still carry. Tell me in the name of heaven, why did my parents, my father, or my mother do this to me? I don't know. The woman who gave you to me knows more of that than I do. You mean to say you got me from someone else? It wasn't you who stumbled on me? No, it wasn't me. Another shepherd gave you to me. Who? Who was she? Do you know? Can you tell me any details, ones you know for certain? Well, I think she was one of Lias' servants. That's, that's what people said. You mean King Lias, the one who ruled this country years ago? That's right. She was one of the king's shepherds. Is she still alive? Can I still see her? You people live here. You'd best answer that. Do any of you here now know the woman, the shepherd he describes? Have you seen her either in the fields or here in Thebes? Answer me, it's critical! Time at last to find out what this means. The woman he mentioned is, I think, the very peasant from the fields you wanted to see earlier. But if this Jocasta could tell more than anyone. Lady, do you know the woman we sent for just minutes ago? The one we summoned here is... She the one this messenger refers to? Why ask me what he means? Forget all that. There's no point in trying to sort out what he said. With all these indications of the truth here in my grasp, I cannot end this now. I must reveal the details of my birth. In the name of the gods, no! If you have some concern for your own life, then stop. Do not keep investigating this. I will suffer. That will be enough. Be brave. Even if I should turn out to be born from a shameful mother whose family for three generations have been slaves, you will still have your noble lineage. Listen to me, I beg you, do not do this. I will not be convinced. I should not learn the whole truth of what these facts amount to. But I care about your own well-being. What I tell you is for your benefit. What you're telling me for my own good just brings me more distress. Oh, you unhappy man, may you never find out who you really are. Go, one of you, and bring that shepherd here. Leave the lady to enjoy her noble family. Alas, you poor miserable man. There's nothing more that I can say to you. And now I'll never speak again. <laughs> Why has the queen rushed off, Oedipus, so full of grief? I fear a disastrous storm will soon break through her silence. Then let it break, whatever it is. As for myself, no matter how base-born my family, I wish to know the seed from where I came. Perhaps my queen is now ashamed of me and of my insignificant origin. She likes to play the noble lady. But I will never feel myself dishonored. I see myself as a child of fortune. And she is generous, that mother of mine from whom I spring, and the months my siblings have seen me by turns both small and great. That's how I was born! 
I cannot change to someone else. Nor can I ever cease from seeking out the facts of my own birth. You have been listening to Act Two of Chatterbox Audio Theater's production of Oedipus the King by Sophocles, translated by Ian Johnston, featuring Tim Greer as Oedipus, Kenan Keplinger as Creon, Gina Julison as Jocasta, Andy Saunders as The Messenger, and Bill Andrews and Jennifer Henry as The Chorus. Music by Jonathan Saunders. Dramaturgy and Script Consulting by David Sick. Assistant produced by James Antoine. Produced by Eric Sefton. Assistant directed by Amy Salerno-Hale. Directed by Robert Arnold. All right, and that was the second part of Oedipus the King by Chatterbox Audio Theater. Hope you've enjoyed that. Chatterboxtheater.org, theater.er.org for more. The dozens of plays have been released by Chatterbox over the years. Um, classics like this one, as well as their own original material and interesting takes on the classics, Chatterbox is just one of the best out there among us independent tribe of audio dramatists. Uh, Bob Arnold and his crew are doing wonderful things. Uh, hope you enjoy and um, celebrate all the uh, wonderful stuff that they've got available for you, chatterboxtheater.org. All right, um, and if you can't uh, wait for more, uh, go to the always improving radiodramarevival.com, over 250 hours of archives there. We are working desperately to get this app for you available, as we see, um, in some ways, I'm seeing the sunset of uh, podcasting. Um, uh, sadly enough, um, iTunes seems to have given up um, its real focus on podcasts and even uh, Google readers going the way of the dinosaur. Um, so it looks like we are focusing more and more on, uh, you know, building our show into mobile-type platforms, uh, trying to get there <laughs> on a one-person volunteer basis is a little tricky, but, you know, we do what we can. Uh, keep telling your friends, keep leaving comments, keep uh, keep sharing the word of the renaissance of radio drama. We really do appreciate it. You can follow us on Twitter, hit up at Radio Drama, follow the Facebook page, Radio Drama Revival. Um, find us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. If you search just for Radio Drama, um, you will find us. And if you want to be particularly sure, type in Radio Drama Revival. You will definitely find the show, and we'll keep producing it for you each week as long as we can keep this thing going. So thank you so much. Uh, radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalgh. Copyright of individual shows remains their original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM that is Southern Maine's community radio. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. Mm-hmm.